we are here with Aaron Alexander, host of the Align podcast, author of the Align Method. Had a chance to meet him at the biohacking conference in Orlando. Super passionate guy. Love what he does. Had a chance to experience his good energy and the uh, just the good atmosphere that he create for everyone in what would otherwise be a very boring, not so sexy space. Your traditional sort of uh, lobby room style conference room with the uh, shitty wallpaper. This podcast is powered by Biostrap, the most clinically validated wearable device, health and sleep tracker. With Biostrap, you can count on research-grade biometric analysis to make the best evidence-based decisions unique to you regarding all things health and fitness. I wear my Biostrap every day. Their HIPAA-compliant platform allows me to monitor exactly how my physiology responds to all of the lifestyle habits, wellness protocols, and biohacks I implement in my daily routine. And through their advanced remote monitoring platform, I get to see the same for the people I follow in-app. No matter where my clients, closest friends, or family members are in the world, I can see exactly how their physiology is responding to all my advice, recommendations, and everything else that I learned through the awesome guests I get to host on this podcast. It's the ultimate tool for getting to know your physio. For the nerds, aka most of you guys, here is a scientific breakdown of the device that you can surely appreciate. So raw waveform data enables in-depth analysis of your health using powerful cloud-based algorithms. Proprietary red and infrared optimal sensors capture high signal-to-noise and high-resolution photoplethysmography or PPG measurements from deep beneath the skin, up to 10 times deeper than green light to extract reliable biometrics. The proprietary pulse engine assesses each pulse wave versus 29 unique parameters to provide processed data with the highest data integrity and reliability. And trending nocturnal biometric data provides the ultimate insight into positive or maladaptive physiological changes. Data integrity is of the utmost importance when relied upon for risk stratification, data-driven decision-making, and progress monitoring. Biostrap is referenced in 14 publications and 22 clinical studies validating biometric measurements against gold standard medical diagnostic equipment and applied use cases for specific medical conditions. When it comes to your personal health, fitness, and performance, it counts to interpret and apply only the most reliable evidence-based data unique to you. That's why I choose Biostrap and why I recommend it invariably to all my friends, family, clients, fans, and followers who are curious about their biometric data as they get to know their physio. So you can go to biostrap.com and use code UNDRESS10 to get 10% off your entire order. That's biostrap.com, B-I-O-S-T-R-A-P.com and use code UNDRESS10, A-N-D-R-E-S and the number 10 to get 10% off your entire order. One more time, that's biostrap.com, B-I-O-S-T-R-A-P.com, code Andres10 for 10% off your entire order. Hope you guys enjoy, and I'll see you on the other side. But anyway, here we are <laughs> on the podcast, and uh, it's a pleasure to have you, my man. Thanks for making this happen, man. Thanks for and thanks for coming to the workshop and filming and doing the damn thing. Appreciate you. Yeah, man. Of course. So, yeah, I I'd love to know, Aaron, how how did you manage to pursue what you do with such passion, and how 
how do you manage to bring that kind of energy to to your audience? Why do you do what you do, man? Well, I think the 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 why I do what I do would be just generally scratching my own itches, you know, seeking to feel better, stronger, you know, like all of the the things that people are typically like to experience in their own bodies and, and minds and just lifestyles. You know, I want that for myself. And I've managed to thankfully carve out a lifestyle where I'm able to professionally seek out guidance on how to make that happen in my own life and the life of my clients. And then kind of the exhaust from those lessons goes into the form of podcasts and, you know, writing of the, the Align Method book that's the expanded version is coming out in January, which is just a compilation of, of my own itches that I've been intentionally scratching for the last 15 years or so. But the main thing is just, yeah, wanting to wanting to feel well, you know, wanting to feel better in my in my own self and be able to, the accountability of other people is a really big thing. So working specifically with clients, especially when they're become like higher paying clients or people that kind of like make me nervous, you know, I want to do a really good job for them that catalyzes a fire for me to want to engage deeper. And then also the accountability of having an audience in, in the podcast and you know people paying for programs that I create. You know, that feels for me like a lot of pressure, you know, to be able to show up in a way that's that's meaningful for them. So a combination of scratching my own itch and then the accountability of uh, the itches that other people have as well. That's that's wonderfully said. And how how do you know what itch to scratch? Let's say you take someone who just doesn't know how to really listen to their bodies or maybe someone who thinks that they're listening, maybe they're not listening the way they're supposed to be listening. How do you know how to scratch that itch, so to speak, when it comes to all things health, wellness, and health optimization? Well, there's no supposed to be listening, you know? So it's, I think just starting any... uh, it's like there's there's multiple doors into self-betterment or the physical experience or the your conscious experience. You know, and different people kind of become kind of tribalistic about their path being the best. And I think for the most part, they're well-intentioned. I think people inherently, we want to have community. You know, we want to we come from bands of tribes of 50 to 150 people. And, you know, we're we're consciously or subconsciously perpetuating that in the way that we eat you know i'm a keto guy i'm a vegan you know we have like isms around the the food that goes into our face you know it becomes like this religious structure that we follow and a way to self-identify and identify with other people you know cool like you're like me but as far as getting started, I think within that, even if something feels inherently like in, in retrospect, like it was a mistake, by you making that mistake in quotations, it allowed you to push into like kind of further off the spectrum than what is healthy, which allowed you to realize that there is a spectrum in the first place, you know, and you can kind of find that, that middle path, which is like Buddhist speak, by going into kind of falling off the rails. You know, so I think that all that really matters is that you are engaged, you know. It's like your next move is your best move kind of thing. You know, so if you're if you're taking action and you're paying attention, just the simple practice of paying attention, like there's been various different research around the impact of just paying attention to even like washing dishes, you know, so you're doing dishes, you're you're saying the difference between people that are 
actively engage with the temperature of the water and maybe the sound of the faucet and the weight of their feet in the ground and maybe the smells coming off of the dish soap or any of that. Those people will report to feel less anxious. Those people will report to feel more creative, you know, so they'll actually do, they'll be more effective with, with tests around creativity. I think the big thing is, is just starting the process of engagement, you know, start paying attention to, to anything. And so that could be like, well, do I want to be paying attention to like my Instagram notifications or like my cell phone notifications? Paying deep attention to the notification is the solution, you know, so as opposed to trying to push the notification away as though it's this like bad thing. That just charges it up and makes it more sexy, you know. That so instead of that, really pay attention to like how do I feel when my phone does go bling, you know? Like where do I do it? Do I feel that in my chest? Do I feel that in my stomach? Do I feel that in my in my spine? You know. And then when you're reaching out to the phone, like what's the texture of the phone? What's what's the weight of my feet into the ground? What's the temperature of the room? Really intentionally, consciously engaging with that seemingly, you know, problematic addictive behavior, I think is a beautiful solution to mindfulness. So you can mindfully do the taboo behavior. And I think that's better than better than not. And and why do you think people are out of touch with that sort of present moment and, and, and mindfulness? You think it's like a modern sort of phenomenon or I mean, it's probably not that modern. I mean, like, I mean, I, that's a question that I always have whenever I talk to people that I would deem to be like an elder, or like the the difference, like an elder and an older. You know, an older is just a person that's like old. You know, they have more years, but an elder is a person that's kind of like they've actually been like doing the work and like paying attention through this lifetime. But we're just you know just talking to any person that's been on the planet for fifty, sixty, seventy years, and there's always distractions. You know, I think that now the distractions are much more like nuclear, they're like weaponized. But there's always some kind of distraction, you know, and so it's whether it's ultimately the reason that social media is so distracting is because it does really cue in on those innate urges that we've all had forever. And again, it comes back to community, it comes back to notoriety, you know, working your way up the social hierarchy. But that's existed forever. There's nothing new about any of this. It's it's just brilliantly touching on primordial mechanisms that have been in your body since the beginning of time. You know, there's there's been those hierarchies and those that that dance and those 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 kind of power plays and games that people have been doing for a very long time. But now it's just really like we're really overtly submersed in it. And I think that I think advertisement is a little bit more not nefarious, but the way that we are advertised at presently is ever since probably, you know, the, like the beginning of advertising cigarettes, you know, that was like the, when they started to advertise that as being a statement of who you are, your identity structure, you know, and so it was originally freedom sticks was like the big, a bunch of women came out in the parade and they positioned these women to be smoking these cigarettes as it, it was, it wasn't just the quality of the cigarette. It wasn't just that the tobacco is really good or it's organic or whatever. It was that by you using this, you're a better person. You're like a superior person. It, it denotes that you're taking back the patriarchy. So now there's so much advertisement, you know, each day we're, we're there, we have so many impressions of various different advertisements saying that we will be happy when, 
you know, once we get to this, this, we get the right car, we get the right beer, you know, whatever the thing may be, suddenly we'll feel fulfilled. So I think that that that's, we're more entrenched with that than we've ever been. You know, we've never had a point where advertisement is just, we're like bathing in it all day long, whether we realize it or not. You know, so I think that that is a distinct difference in the present time. And now it's not just in our visual field on like driving by a billboard on the phone, but it's literally in our pocket all the time. You know, so that, that I think is something that's, it's, it makes it a bit stickier to, to rewire that part for sure. I know you have an incredible team with you doing all the amazing stuff, you know, I'm sure you guys are working on ads and marketing for your book and all of your courses and such. But, you know, as far as your experience being on the back end of advertising, do you think that nowadays it's intrusive? Do you think that it's appropriate? And where do you think we're headed? Well, I think the question to ask before you do anything is, is one, who is this for? You know, so if you are posting something on your Facebook, I don't know if anybody even uses Facebook anymore, but if you're posting something on your Instagram, your TikTok or whatever, like I find it kind of almost like sickening to see some of the the posts. Ultimately, if I find it sickening, it's because it's something that reflects back onto myself and you know, something that I'm like, oh, I see, you know, that in me. You mean like when you get a note, when you get an ad and, it, and you're like, this is exactly what I was looking for or like this is exactly. No, 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 no. No, when I see something that it's it's just there's there's no real benefit to society from this. Can you give us an example? Oh, just somebody just posting a, a selfie, you know, because they're they're looking hot. Okay, so it's it's not just like the ads that you get from different companies. I want to sell you something. It's like just content in general that you see that's sort of like yeah. an ad into someone's personal brand or personal identity. Well, everything is an ad in a way. <laughs> you know, like what's the differentiation between there's a buy button at the end or not? You know, when someone's building a social platform, ultimately, they're going to get to a point where they don't realize it, but there was money being made off of their engagement with the system in the first place. That's why it's it's like free in quotations. You know, so their information has been trading and the way that they engage with the platform, all of that, that information is being sold. And eventually, they're being advertised at themselves. And then they're vying to turn themselves into advertisers, you know, i.e. like influencer. You know, so if you play the social game and you you know you you impose your impressions appropriately for whatever amount of time, then eventually people will start to want to do what you're doing. So that's why like Apple was really effective with advertising because it was like this covert advertising where Apple was just it was in the movies and it was it was appropriately placed like product placement, but there wasn't like an overt like buy Apple. So I think that we're continually signaling and advertising all the time. When you choose a specific type of shirt, there's some shirts that you resonate with that you like. It like makes you feel like, oh, wow, this like puffs up my chest or my biceps or whatever if you're a dude or this, this makes my tits look good. Funny or, you mentioned that because I'm wearing a shirt that looks great on me, you know. Yeah, and that's it also says, And it says on the shirt, it says state of gratitude. Yeah, exactly. You're just virtue, <laughs> you're just virtue signaling, you know. And so, so it's not a, a bad thing per se. It can, like I said, like these things can be weaponized and they can really erode, I think, the human psyche and consciousness and like just like a sensation of feeling content, like general contentment. It can be very slippery for that when we're in this continual comparison game. But anytime that you choose to like, like exercise, 
would be an example. If you're doing bodybuilding workouts or maybe calisthenic workouts or whatever, and you're doing it for any reason other than just the pure joy of it. Like it's just, I just, I just love it. There's just there. I don't, I give no shits about the outcome of the way that people perceive me or the fact that I can do a cool handstand in front of people or that my muscles are going to be awesome. And, but what you're, what you're doing, if it's anything else, which ultimately, if you're really honest with yourself, there's, there's going to be some virtue signaling in there. It's going to make you a better, a more attractive mate ultimately, or maybe better business partner. So like having muscles, it's not, it's not an efficient way to live. Having a bunch of muscles, like if you were to put yourself in any kind of hunter-gatherer, you know, ancestral situation, I'm and, loving you weighed, this. and you weighed 270, you were like 6'1", 270, just jacked to the gills, like, like hopped up on testosterone and creatine and just like, you're so amazing. Can I, can I just jump in real quick? Because I think that yeah, there's sure. someone that we have that, that you that you probably know of. I don't know if you know them personally, the liver king. Oh yeah. He's an interesting example. Yeah, I keep getting, I keep getting DMs about this liver king guy because I love eating organ meats and I'm a big fan of ancestral supplements. But the liver king is posting pictures of himself, like throwing these spears, like, like he's in a position to throw a spear and he's like yeah, living this like I mean. ancestral lifestyle. But <laughs> obviously the guy takes massive amounts of steroids. So it's just like how, how ancestral is that really? And I, and I look, I don't like talking negatively about anyone but i think this i think this is a discrepancy now that i have to touch upon because so many people send me this and they go hey undress is this truly ancestral living and i guess a lot of people are just they have you know they they, they they've been on social media long enough where or i guess they're brainwashed social media to the point that you know now steroids is like it's like common it's like so common yeah testosterone replacement can be really supportive for some people especially maybe if Absolutely. they had like some type of concussive issue like some kind of brain brain trauma issue or you know some people just aren't producing enough tea and their cognitive function is declining and they feel depressed and sure you know, but then but then the deeper question there is like what's what's really happening there you know like what's the environmental conditions that you could place yourself into where your body just naturally upregulates or you know there's there's a a balance in your endocrine system as a whole in all of the systems, you know, so if you're just going from more of like an allopathic model of saying like, okay, Clay, we see this symptom, let's address this symptom, it could possibly be perpetuating an issue that your body is actually kind of buffering or preventing you from, you know, racing quicker towards. I did a podcast with, with uh, Dr. Zach Bush recently and he's, he kind of went in pretty deep on testosterone replacement. I'm not an expert. It's like way out of my depth to have any strong opinion about it. But I do think it is an interesting thing to to be able to first at least really truly exhaust all of the low-hanging fruit that you have access to, to be able to find equipoise or balance within your own hormonal system, you know, and, and all of the systems of yourself before starting to reach out to exogenous solutions. Because I think the, the body's, you know, the body's very intelligent. And, you know, if you just put something into a system that's, it's not structured to be able to really hold that, like from, from, from the root, it's, 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 it's just not structured to be upregulating that specific part. And you just put that part into there. It just intuitively for me, it doesn't make complete sense. But yeah, I would, I would refer to, to Zach Bush because he's got like, you know, he's, he's going really deep on the topic. So, 
Are you trying to say maybe that this guy could be on TRT? Oh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean, he looks like he's definitely using some type of hormone replacement, but I don't, I don't, I don't know anything. I don't know the person personally. Right. Well, anyway, coming back to the uh, the the ancestral ways of life and how it doesn't make sense to really carry around all this muscle. Do you think that perhaps people are now getting so carried away with gaining muscle from a health perspective that it's actually taking away from their health as a whole, considering that you know some degree of ancestral sort of consistency in the modern world can benefit us? It, it can. You know, I, I think it really, it's it's just, what are your goals? You know, so ancestral doesn't really have, it's just a word, you know, and, and, and like we're technically ancestral now, like we're still homo sapien, you know, and maybe at some point we'll, we'll change to some completely class, some completely different class. We'll be like homo, what is Dan Vitalis called? Like homo, homo fragilis, you know, we're just, we're, we're like the next fragile species. We essentially become like the Pomeranian or like the, you know, just like the, the strange, awkward dog. Which all dogs originally came from from Grey Wolf was the original. Yeah, original, you have this tiny like, dog like with you root. now that looks like it could be a, a snack for a wolf. Sure, yeah, and the, and and the reality is it is a wolf. You know, like every every dog originally comes from that point. So it's really just what you want. So first, being honest with what is it that you really desire? Do you desire this aesthetic idea that you've been really you've been exposed to? through media you know you watched pumping iron nine times when you were 13 and you watched muscle and fitness and big jacked dudes that are typically terrible at athletics like it's very very rare to find someone that's truly like they are a bodybuilder like they identify with bodybuilder that's also good at playing ultimate frisbee you know or riding a horse you know it's just like they, 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 their, their body becomes very linear and kind of chunky because as opposed to focusing on integration of the parts, they're focusing on isolation of the parts, which sometimes isolation is valuable because there's been so much inhibition in specific aspects of the body. You know, so say, you know, you might want to isolate maybe like some muscles in the posterior side of your shoulder girdle or some rotator cuff muscles, maybe some gluteal muscles or maybe, yeah, rhomboids or lower traps or there's a lot of different potential options where a person may have just long-term inhibition. And then the analogy that would be appropriate with that from a, uh, like a musculoskeletal perspective, from like an innervation perspective, would be thinking of you know, if you have a, a pack of dogs, you know, say you have five dogs, then you feed them one bowl of food, which the one bowl of food would essentially act as like your body doing a movement. And the five dogs could act as like maybe five muscle bellies that are surrounding, say, the shoulder or the hip or, you know, whatever it may be. And you feed them all at once, i.e. you do a squat, you know, or whatever movement, then the biggest dogs will consume the food. And then those smaller dogs, the inhibited dogs, the inhibited muscles will just continue to get like tramped over and, and you know, they'll never get to eat. You know, so there is a time and in place for isolation of, of muscles and kind of like bodybuilding style. Reciprocal inhibition is a good strategy from what I understand. It can be. Yeah. Reciprocal inhibition can be. You know, reciprocal inhibition is just you're, you're contracting the concentric side is going to release the eccentric side. So, it's like opposite, opposite sides. It's really hard to contract your bicep and your tricep at the same time. So, if you contract your bicep, then you're, you're, you'll inherently be relaxing your, your, your triceps. Contract, relax is a really beautiful way to engage the nervous system to start to either create length 
in a space or activation. You're kind of doing both at the same time. So you you could just yeah. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of different options on how to do it. But all the main thing I'm saying is there's a time and a place for almost everything. You know, so there's a time and place for bodybuilding style workout techniques, and there's also a time and a place for primal movements and crawling around on the floor and seeing what kind of spinal mobility you can get out of that and seeing what kind of maybe you can go into like developmental patterns and start reconstituting or integrating some of the patterns that you'd learn as a child. You know, and those those patterns are incredibly brilliant, really. Uh, an adult learning to go like just spending time with a baby, you know, and watching them move around on the ground. It's this beautiful, almost like effortlessness similar thing with female rock climbers. You know, if you watch a new male rock climber, especially somebody that's kind of like jacked, you know, really strong versus a female rock climber that they're in their body, you know, they're maybe like more, they've done some dance and some yoga. The difference between watching those two people move up a, a rock climbing wall, indoor, outdoor, whatever, is like, is crazy because the the jacked guy is just going to muscle through and they're going to be really tense. They're going to be holding it really tight, you know, whereas the seemingly weaker female is going to be really utilizing the entirety of her body and she's going to be moving through her legs and she's going to be finding all these little like complex, it, it appears simple, but but complex ways to solve these various different physical problems. That's what a baby does. You know, and so taking yourself back, winding yourself back into some of those developmental patterns that we've been doing since we're little, which is ultimately is just spending time on the ground. Now, learning how to effectively be on the ground is a really beautiful way to bring a person back into greater ease and balance and, you know, a little bit more of like an ancestral type lifestyle. Well, for the sake of clarity, I think maybe if we can refer back to that sort of ancestral way of living, I think a better way to describe what I intend to say is leveraging evolutionarily preserved mechanisms that we tend to be disconnected with in this modern life. Yeah. So for, for example, you know, these functional movement patterns you're describing being like a baby, being nice and nimble and agile, functional movement patterns, maybe something like intermittent fasting, receiving sunlight in the day, blocking light at night, you know, these sort of habits from which we can leverage those evolutionarily preserved mechanisms. And on that point, I wanted to ask you, do you think that with the sort of media that we're exposed to and how addicting it can be because it satisfies these innate cravings that we have, that that ultimately contributes to this disconnect in our, in those evolutionary sort of ways? Do you think that maybe being so addicted to our phones and, and seeing all these things on social media because they satisfy something that's that's there, but ultimately they don't satisfy us in the long term. Do you think that social media necessarily is responsible for the disconnect? Do you think that maybe we have a different way we can experience media where we're not so disconnected from from our evolutionary ways? Yeah, I would agree with with that in general because it, it it gives a person social media. It's Alan Watts would call it like, like eating the menu, but not the actual meal. You know, so you are getting what feels to be social interaction and engagement. And it feels to be adventure. You know, you're watching maybe somebody puck a double backflip off a ramp or something, you know, and it feels to be nature. You know, you're watching somebody do a drone video through Glacier National Park. And you're like, wow, it's like almost like I'm there. 
you know so it it starts to hit on all of those those mechanisms inside of yourself that really feels like whole you're like whoa exactly but it, it doesn't ever actually satiate it you know so it's kind of like a it's like a like a tease in a way. Well, then you get a phone call and you're like, "Hey, we're like, where did it all, all go?" You know, you sort of feel like like an emptiness or like you weren't like your craving wasn't satisfied completely. And then the, and then the issue within that is when you're on a, a screen or you're engaging your autonomic nervous system to be in a place of kind of like more sympathetic state. You know, you get which that is tunnel like tunnel vision. Know, you get That's that close, correct. Yeah. yeah, that closing off in the in the periphery, and now all of a sudden you're in a more sympathetic state, right? You know, and sympathetic is beautiful, and parasympathetic is beautiful, and like all the different you know ranges of our expression, our autonomic expression, are all fantastic. But we want to be able to comfortably and with, with agility be able to move through those different autonomic expressions, and when your nervous system is kind of continually being bombarded by stimuli from your environment to put you into that that more fight flight type state well then you start to get burnt out you know and then you're only you're only kind of the solution that you have for the way that you feel the anxiety that you feel or maybe you're starting to you know have some maybe sensations of of feeling disconnected or you feel you know, you feel like just separate, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't feel apart, you know, because ultimately you're getting all these images, but you're sitting alone in your apartment, you know, comparing yourself to other people, you know, and it's like, it's not that the social media is bad. It's just effective. It's so <laughs> like, good. It's like, actually so hate, yeah, good. Like don't hate the player, yeah. hate the game. Exactly. You know, so it's like has nothing like guns don't kill people. You know, social media doesn't make people sad. You know, it's like it's you. You know, you are you are responsible. You are empowered. Like every decision and a lot of it is perhaps there's some disassociation or disconnection from really being an active participant in your in your daily life you know and that's like if you live in a scenario where you truly which i never have but i you know i've gone like hunted with a bow you know and i've gotten lost in the woods you know but you're in a scenario where it's like or even just going and camping and building your own fire you know even if you have a lighter you're still a little bit more engage with this like this like survival mechanism i mean hunting or spear fishing is a beautiful beautiful practice as well with that it's it's really snaps you into focus and into relationship with the world around you and you know in, in nature yeah so w- when you go into some of those scenarios and you're like deeply associated you know it's 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 this enlivening sensation it's like wow like i didn't even know how to be this aware of my environment because my environment, you know, especially in, in American culture, we live in like these nerf realities, you know, where it's like you just, it's like, it's like bumper life. Everything is kind of organized in such a way that, you know, if you get hurt, you're, you're kind of a, you know, you're a pretty big asshole if you get hurt at like a theme park or something. Whereas you go to some other countries and it's like, there's no sign. It's just the edge of a cliff. You know, there's no like, if you walk off the edge, you'll probably die. It's just like, <laughs> it's an edge of a cliff, asshole. Like, <laughs> if you walk off the cliff, that's natural selection. 
Yeah. You know, and I, so I think that there's nice. something really beautiful about, about living in, 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 a, in a life where I you actually need to be engaged because our nervous systems are inherently lazy. You know, like, and, and that's, that's the beauty. Like, that's the magic. That's, the, that's the, the complexity and the genius of the human organism is that it's inherently highly lazy. It's always looking ways to conserve energy. And so, if you put it in this, this you know, docile, Pomeranian, nerf environment, then you will get slow, you know, and you will get inflexible and you will get kind of, uh, you might even start to disconnect because if I don't need to connect in order to survive, then I'll probably start to disconnect. Yeah. And, and, and you mentioned spearfishing. I have this just immense love, passion for spearfishing because it does exactly that. It forces you to be so present with, you know, just you have to, I mean, to sit, if you're doing free dive spearfishing in particular, you know, you have to relax to a point where you can hold your breath long enough to dive down. You know, sometimes we'll dive down 50, 60, 70, 80 feet, make our way to the bottom and we sit there and we're so calm that the surrounding life gets curious and it approaches you. And that's how you take your shot. That's how you do the hunting itself. You know, you have to be so comfortable that the surrounding life comes and approaches you. If you go down there just to sort of check things out and you have animals are smart. If they, for whatever reason, are under the impression that they're being hunted, they're going to avoid you. And so spearfishing is beautiful because it forces you to be completely super, super, super self-aware, aware of the environment. You have to watch out for other boats, for your buddies, for the sharks, for the current etc. And it puts you in a position where you have to just, you have to consider all this while still keeping and maintaining your cool and staying calm. And what I found is that when I'm spearfishing consistently, my HRV shoots up. So, that's that sort of quantitative approach to autonomic nervous system function. I track it with the biostrap. But I notice that when I'm spearfishing often or when I'm cycling often, when I'm road cycling and I'm forced to, it's a very similar experience in that you have to be aware of yourself and your surroundings at the same time as you engage in that sort of movement and with the environment. And I find that when I do these hobbies, my HRV shoots up. Whereas if, whereas if, if I'm just training in the gym or if I'm doing workouts at home or maybe I'm not being active and I'm just like scrolling on social media, I mean, everything just tanks because I'm not participating. I'm observing. I, I, I'll, you know, if I'm feeling down or if it's a rainy day and I wanted to go out and spearfish or road cycling, I'll go on YouTube and I'll watch videos of other cyclists or spearfishermen. And then I feel so detached. So, so how do you think other people can enjoy this without having to be a dedicated spearfisherman, road cyclist, hunter? How, can, can the average person enjoy that? Can they be more present in their environments, even if they're not out in the ocean or in the wilderness? I think the easiest ones, one, I think it's interesting. I think spearfishing is such an interesting analogy for life because the more that we are grasping, you know, and anxiously reaching out, the more we just propel everything away from us. And it's an interesting thing of, you know, in the same similar conversation of the way that we're kind of queued up by our, you know, our screen time. It, it, if it's queuing us up to be in a little bit more of, you know, an upregulated kind of like anxious, anxious state, you know, kind of like wired, wired and tired kind of place. That's not a very attractive place to be in, you know, from other mates or maybe, you know, 
people to engage with business with or like you're, you ultimately we're just building our tribe like that's what we're doing throughout the day and so if you're that wired and tired kind of like hopped up on coffee but like still like deeply fatigued type person and you're yearning to be someone else because all you see all day is projections of other people you know, there was a time where you didn't own a mirror. <laughs> like your your mirror was a reflection in a pond. And you're like, cool, whatever. Like, that's interesting. Can you imagine? Yeah. You know, and now, so like, like, I mean, imagine that. Like you're running on billions of years of evolution depending upon your belief system. I mean, even if you believe in creationism, it's still like 6,000 years, you know, compared to the time that we've had, which I mean, 6,000 years. But it's been a long time. You know, let's just let's just say at least hundreds of thousands of years, at least millions of years, I think regardless of your belief system, that we didn't have really this this individualistic awareness of our ourselves. Like it's it's brand new to have to see projected images of yourself. Like I can see myself right now. <laughs> like throughout this, I'm watching myself communicate. <laughs> like that's crazy, man. Like that's that's that is that is some some new stuff. You know, to get it's just it's it's so invaluable. I think to get out of that, you know, to just to get lost in the moment, to be engaged with something outside of yourself. Like to be so engaged with yourself is like one of the most lonely places to be. You know, and so I think that that's a simple solution is, you know, a cold plunge is a viable option for something that's pretty like, I would say breath work, but I think breath work is harder than cold plunging. Cold plunge, it just sits there, it stares at you and and you don't need to spend $10,000 on a cold plunge. You can get a chest freezer. It's not that complicated. You can, you can build one for yourself at your house for less than 700 bucks. But there's there's different tiers, you have different ones that you can get. I have a whole blog about like how to build one and whatnot. But, but I think that's a really beautiful option to really just like automatically snap you into more balanced heart rate variability for one thing. It's a really helpful way to it, – it actually has been shown to make people feel happier. You know, so if you're a person that is dealing with depression, you know, or, or anxiety or any of that, the cold will snap you out of it, man. And what does it do? It snaps you into presence. It snaps you into being aware of your breath. Because if you're not aware of your breath in that moment, like you're going to disassemble. You know, and so when you're in there, all you have is this observation of sensation and the observation of your breath. And you get in, your breath is up here and then you slowly bring it back into that longer exhalation and just slower and then you get into the nasal breathing and you practice through exposure therapy you know exposure therapy being if you're scared of something slowly expose a little bit more you know maybe have a spider in the room if you're scared of spiders you know and eventually get to the point where they'll come in, there's a spider on my hand you know and now like wow i'm not really scared i still feel a little inclination because there's something you know something happened to me when i was a kid but like generally speaking i'm good with spiders because i expose myself gradually to those things well the, the cold plunge acts as a beautiful way to it, it it immediately incites all of those metabolic variables that indicate indica- indicate to you that you're stressed the freak out it, and so then it immediately gives you the opportunity to say okay how do i navigate this you know, and you bring yourself, you bring yourself back out down into to calm. And then, you know, next time that happens, well, what is whatever, not being able to pay your rent? You know, what is the 
message from some ex-girlfriend saying whatever just whatever the thing is that's like ah like sphincters sphincters contracting cortisol spiking nor ever never going through the roof like i am freaking out that is a cold plunge you know and so and so i think that's a beautiful example of something that's very acute that makes a dramatic difference and this could be a cold shower this could be whatever and then just generally being outside like most every clinical study you can possibly find will say something to the tune that nature is healing for almost every aspect of yourself you know and when you take yourself out of nature then you start to run into issues and then we start to have solutions in the form of you know maybe some type of pharmaceutical drug or maybe some type of biohack or maybe some type of supplement or maybe some type of whatever you know but most all of those things are deriving themselves and replicating from something that we would naturally find just by going the heck outside. You know, and so realizing that you are tuned by your environment 100% of the time, you know, and that's a major part of what the Align Method is and what my book is about is giving people the user's manual on how do we start to retune our environment or position our environment in such a way that just our existence makes us healthier it makes us happier it makes us more at ease it makes us feel better energy it makes us sleep better you know because you are just you're this continual feedback mechanism and whatever the the environmental stimuli that you're absorbed in your body responds and says cool got it great blue light got it awake beautiful i love being awake if it's you know 7 30 a.m or 8 30 a.m or or 3 p.m you know, but if it's 9 p.m., then I probably don't want to be turning those toggles. You know, so, okay, maybe we'll go a little bit more red. You know, maybe we'll do some salt lamps or maybe we'll, you know, there's light some candles, like make it romantic. Looking out into the distance is what we were talking about before. You know, if you're working right now, I'm, as we're doing this, I have a window right in front of me. So, you can see me. I'm like looking up a lot. There's a river going right across here and I have like trees and nature you know, so as we're doing this, I'm I'm looking out, which is you know your your visual system is integrated into your central nervous system. When you it's it's continually feeding information into where you are, your environment, and how you should respond to have, what's what's an what's an effective, appropriate response to your present environmental stimuli. So if I'm going, I'm kind of chilling out. You know, I'm spacing out. I'm just kind of taking it all in. That's probably going to be an indication to my cells, you know, my endocrine system and my, you know, all of the various systems that, that, you know, we've, we've kind of reduced out, which ultimately your body doesn't know what the hell we're talking about because they're all integrated, but it's an indication to my, myself that, uh, oh, cool. We're hanging out. We're good. Maybe it's, maybe it's okay to digest. Maybe it's okay to, to menstruate. You know, maybe it's okay to start to repair some muscles. Maybe I don't need to just be preparing myself to get the hell out of the room because if I was preparing myself to get the heck out of the room, I'd probably be focusing in on a predator. So, I'm focusing on a predator. Okay, now let's pull that blood out of the viscera and get it into the the appendicular and into the, into the, the muscles of the legs and the arms because I'm going to either fight something or run away from something. And if all else fails, I'll just freeze and collapse, you know, and and the opposite of all of that would be to go into a place of, you know, 
relaxing the vision, a long exhalation. The same, it's the same thing that you'll intuitively inherently do anytime it's okay to chill. You know, we made it. <sighs> we made it. We're here. We're here. Wow. Like that's, we just accept when someone does that, like we're continually reading millions and billions of bits of information from different visual cues and also like pheromonal cues. And there's, you know, we're, we're, we're reading so much from each other that we don't realize. And then like the tip of the iceberg is like the words that we say to each other. But those little cues, like just that, oh, wow. like, you know, exactly what that means compared to, oh, wow, like, it, you know exactly what you that means. That, I sort of had like, I just, I just kind of like attracted as soon as you yeah, did that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, we're always, we're, we're, you're attuning to your environment. So, right now, we're in each other's visual environment, you know, and it's a really effective way to survive with people is to be able to kind of be like them, you know. So, when we're hanging out, the way that you create rapport, you know, getting into like neurolinguistic programming, you know, like Tony Robbins is a really popular advocate of that. Richard Bandler was the original guy and then he had a partner too. But, you know, a way to create rapport with somebody is to kind of like mirror them. So, subconsciously, you're going to do that regardless. When you meet somebody new, if you want to connect with them, you might not want to connect with them in, in which case you'll just kind of shut off and not give a shit about mirroring them. But if you want to connect with them, you know, you connect with Tony Robbins. Maybe that's like, oh my God, I love Tony Robbins. When you meet Tony Robbins, you're going to take on Tony Robbins. <laughs> like, you, what, like, you're not going to be Andreas anymore. You're not going to be, you know, you're going to go up and cool, like, where his shoulders? What's his facial expressions? Like, what's he do with his hands? Like, ha, we're here. We're same tribe, you know? And so, subconsciously, we're always doing that. And that's what you just did with, you know, with, with me when I do that. You're hardwired to be like me and I'm hardwired to be like you. We'll typically follow like the, the alpha, you know, so that and that can switch off. The same thing happens with, with um, women menstruating. They'll get on each other's cycle, uh, but they'll typically follow whoever's like the, like the chief lady. Uh, What's that called? Like what the camping I've, phenomenon or something? It's like I yeah, first I heard about called. it in camp when all these girls were in uh, – in a cabin together and there was just like really attractive girl there and as soon as she got her period i mean yeah. all the other girls start to feel as if it mm-hmm. was sort of coming on yeah so the same thing happens if you're at dinner with a bunch of people i was at dinner just a couple nights and this happened because there was somebody there was somebody that was clearly like the chief you know it was their house they kind of organized and curated the dinner and all of that and i consciously but also kind of subconsciously but but definitely consciously i really wanted to eat you know we have our plates of food and i'm like i'm not eating until he eats you know so it's like once he eats as soon as he grabs the fork i kind of pause for a second like i don't really care but in fact i've been thinking about it for the last you know four (laughs) minutes and then boom i'm in the plate of food you know so similarly that's a more easy to to witness example of we're kind of we're kind of continually trying to figure out these social hierarchies and a way that we do that is through you know mimicking expressions wow well i must admit that right now your video is kind of blurry so as much as i'd like to mimic you (laughs) that's funny yeah it'll be it'll be clear in the in the the product though sweet and you know one thing i wanted to to quickly 
mention, if we can just go back to spearfishing for a second, it's that, you know, when you're on the boat and, and it doesn't have, doesn't even have to be, you know, spearfishing or not spearfishing. Whenever you're on a boat and you're looking into the boat or you're looking at your phone or you're reading a book on the boat. And so your eyes are sort of fixated. They're, they're fixed on something in front of you, except now your body is moving in space, you know, as the boat moves with the waves and that sort of disconnect gives your body the impression that you're intoxicated because in nature, whenever there's, there's a disconnect between the way our body feels in space and our vision, it's sort of, you know, we had to have consumed some sort of toxin. And so you get nauseous because you want to, you know, your body wants to offset that, that toxin. And so that's when people get seasick, right? There's like, you know, the liquid moving in your cochlea and according to how it moves versus what you see, the disconnect, boom, you feel nauseous. Well, as soon as you get in the water, as soon as you look out in the horizon, as soon as you're engaged with the rest of the environment, there's that connection that's there, you ultimately feel wonderful. The easiest way to offset that, that sensation is looking out at the horizon. And so it brings me back to, you know, when you're on your phone, sitting on the toilet, watching someone else do something incredible, and you feel sort of like, you know, you get some, some amount of joy, you get some kind of, you know, some, some, some sort of dopamine hit, but maybe that disconnect is affecting us more than what we're conscious of when we're on a boat. But still, there's sort of some level of intoxication that occurs when we're not participating in the kind of experience in the way that our body wants to participate in it. Yeah. It also disorients your locomotive patterns, like being fancy word for just the way that you walk, like move around. You know, so, your your eyes are continually kind of guiding your movements. You know, you can even feel the the muscular connection of your eyes if you put your hands in the back of your neck. You get into that it's called the suboccipital ridge there's a bunch of tiny little muscles out there that allow the head to go in different directions and just put your your hands in the back there like right at the connection of the skull and look up and down you feel those muscles contracting yeah and i sort of feel like uh there's kind of like a like if i do it with and without the compression Mm-hmm. I sort of feel like a delay almost. Like I feel like the muscle is actually working on both ends of that spectrum a bit. Hmm. I don't know if yeah. I'm just making that up or if it's legit, but. Yeah, I mean, they're pretty, they're, they should be pretty tandem because, you know, you're, when you look up, those muscles are going to contract. You know, they're, 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 they're pretty, they're well integrated systems. Okay, you I know, feel it now. I feel it now in the back of my neck. Yeah, when you're chronically, say, looking, down and to the right, you know, like looking down at your cell phone, you're exaggerating the contraction in this repetitive movement of the muscles that pull your eyes down and to the right. You know, so now you're hypertonic in one direction of your eyes and hypo, you know, you're elongated, kind of stuck long in another direction. And then there's going to be a counter pull into the muscles in your neck and that relationship is going to go into your spine and into your shoulders and into your hips because your body's continually looking for ways to to compensate in order to find balance and our eyes like you know this if you've ever done any kind of gymnastic type thing or anything where your body's like you know maybe different forms of dance like your bodies go in the direction of your eyes 
So if you want to go someplace, like, you know, get the eyes in that direction, your body just will just naturally fall into that direction. So if you are, you know, care about athleticism, for example, uh, or just general like movement economy and efficiency, a beautiful thing to do is get in the habit of, of being aware of the massive global and local impact of the positioning of your eyes. You know, so that could be relaxing the lenses, you know, so going into and opening up into that panoramic vision, you know, just kind of chilling out, looking at taking in the whole room and also going into actively focusing these muscles called the ciliary muscles that are contracting or relaxing in order to change the shape of your lens in order to get a clear picture. So cool. You know, like the lens of your eye, if you've ever looked through a a camera and you kind of change like it was on manual and you can focus in and focus out. So, so cool that you have biological structural systems that are doing that to your eye all the time. And it's just your eyes are pretty much set on automatic, you know, where if you just point your head into a direction, they'll kind of, you know, or, or that whatever, whatever the thing that you want to focus on, boom, it, it changes, man. And it's such a beautiful thing. And then behind that is you know, the autonomic effect that it has as well. It's really interesting. I know that uh, Andrew Huberman does a lot of great work in this space as far as how our vision influences our, our autonomic nervous system function. And it's interesting that you mentioned cameras because my dad is an eye surgeon and he pursued eye surgery and optics because he had a passion for photography. And so naturally he felt an inclination towards something that made sense to him from a sort of uh, you know, more mechanical perspective. And then he pursued that and, you know, he still maintains his passion to photography. And, you know, when you mentioned the consequences of our vision and, and how it can influence us in the long run, as far as, you know, our posture and our locomotion, one thing that came to mind was there's this fish that people will keep in their aquariums, in large aquariums, it's called an arowana. And I know this because I I used to keep fish. I used to be into aquascaping and all that good stuff. And there's this fish, it's called the arowana. It's a beautiful fish. It looks like a dragon. And oftentimes when you see these fully grown arowana in fish tanks, they have this sort of called eye droop or droop eye syndrome where, you know, you have this gorgeous fish, but you see that, you know, one of their eyes is like, it's almost like broken. It's like, it's like drooping way down and it's usually one or even both of the eyes. And so, you know, the fish ultimately is just looks like it's sick. And this is due to environmental factors because, you know, in a fish tank, you have all these different, let's say, you know, hardscapes. So you have rocks, you have wood, you have plants, but the fish is, is, is sort of just looking up, not really looking up, just looking more like looking down and, and, you know, looking at the other fish, I guess, nearby. But in nature, these fish are used to looking up into the, at, at, at the plants above them because they're, native to the Amazon and during the rainy season is when they go out and they start to look for food. And the food is above them. These fish will actually jump out of the water to eat their food. So in nature, they're used to looking up and away and far out into the distance. Whereas in a tank, they're looking at food that's sinking down to the bottom. They're looking at the fish around them, the objects around them. And so they develop this sort of like droop eye syndrome. And when you see these fish in a tank, I mean, typically be a beautiful beautiful fish and now they have like this sort of sickly look to them and it makes me think of of human beings in this modern age with our devices and our screens constantly in front of us you know i can't even begin to imagine 
all of the underlying issues that we can develop, especially from an autonomic nervous system perspective. Yeah, that, that's that, I mean, that's a really cool story. The, the same thing happens, well, not the same thing, but similar mechanism or, or analogy or story happens with whales in SeaWorld. Katie Bowman talks about it. I just did a podcast with her just like a few days ago. We were talking about this. But they get what's called, I think it's called floppy fin syndrome. It's either like floppy fin syndrome or folded fin syndrome. I think they're kind of synonymous. Yeah, the dorsal fin sort of goes like the dorsal limp. fin. Yeah, it folds over, so it's not really floppy because it's it's actually you know quite like calloused and hard. But so folded fin syndrome, and it's from you know naturally in their natural habitat, they would be it would be this strong erect dorsal fin that would go up. But when they are placed into an aquarium, which is essentially what we are, you know, like the domesticated human is in its own zoo there's no way around it you are in a zoo you know and so even getting out into like nature it's still pretty much zoo nature not pretty much it's entirely zoo nature you know so i go out here i have the the lake here and there's like the river trail and you know i could go out like blindfolded and barefoot walking backwards with earmuffs in and I could probably walk for a while, you know, for hundreds of yards and I might trip a few times, but it wouldn't be that big of a deal. <laughs> you know, like people would give me occasionally guide me in a different direction or whatever, but like I'd be pretty much fine. You know, like that would not be the case in most real nature scenarios. And so I'd be much more alert. You know, I, I would need to be aware or else I would, I would, it would be probably like, you know, my own demise. And so that floppy fin syndrome or folded fin syndrome that happens as a product of, of going around in the same direction as this huge, beautiful, amazing, magnificent beast, you know, it's meant to go out in this full dynamic, expressive, exploratory, natural space. They only have that one option. So their muscles start to form to that. And the, and the, the, the human body has done and is doing the same thing. You know, we have our own folded fin syndrome in the form of maybe upper crossed syndrome, which is just forward head posture. So upper crossed, it doesn't matter what it is. Your head's your head's going forward. You know, it looks ugly. It's not nice to look at. You know, we have like a hunchback kind of situation going. Maybe you have like a dowager's hump situation going. Maybe your spine is positioned in such a way that's disadvantageous for producing any form of leverage without putting excessive stress on your discs. Maybe your, you know, your knees aren't in proper orientation with your hips in relation to your feet. Like your body, if you start the process of those developmental patterns that any baby will go through, you know, so you're starting off and, you know, you're on your back and then you're rolling over to your belly and then you're coming up into crawling and then you're coming up into squatting and then you're coming up into standing like that's a magical sequence you know and so in that situation that's that's real human that's natural human like that's that's it and then it inevitably enters into the zoo human reality and now it's exposed to maybe not enough sunlight maybe some weird different artificial lights once the sun goes down maybe they're looking at some screen for some excessive amount of time you know that replicates something that they would see outside maybe their eyes aren't getting the proper exercise or full range of motion because they're you know the the, the furthest distance that they're looking most of the time is the wall that's 
14 feet in front of them, you know, and the windows that they do have are blocking out full spectrum sunlight, you know, so you're only getting certain, certain frequencies of that light, you know, and then you get, eventually you get to a point where you're wearing some sneakers, maybe you're wearing some diapers that were kind of, kind of displacing your legs. So now you're kind of walking in this like wide cowboy type step. You're wearing high heeled shoes in the forms of like, you know, Nikes or whatever you got. Uh, and then you're sitting on a desk all day long and then you're in artificially regulated temperature rooms, you know, where it never moves out of like 69 to 72. You know, so that body, it's like, holy shit, man. There's so many levels of folded fin syndrome in the human zoo experience. And we look around and we just perceive it to be completely normal. And it's not a moralistic bad or good judgment because ultimately we're all going to die. <laughs> you know, like, like all the things that we're kind of toiling over. It's like, dude, you're going to be dead before you know it. You know, you're going to look back. You're going to be 80 or whatever. You'd be like, wow, that life really snapped the freak by. <laughs> you, know? you know, so it's not just about benching the most or squatting the most or whatever. I think it's it, it, the more meaningful things is, is the, the quality of our lives, the quality of our relationships, the quality of our, you know, having like joie de vivre, like having a reason to wake up in the morning. You know, ikigai is like a Japanese word for it. You know, and so if we can start to inhabit ourselves in such a way that allows us to get deeper into our own ikigai you know, or joie de vivre, you know, or feeling like, wow, man, this, this life was maybe wasn't the longest or maybe it was, but that shit was quality. You know, like that's the the, the meaning or, or, or purpose or deeper function of fitness. You know, be a fitter person in order to live better. And living better for most people, if they're really honest with themselves, isn't going to be being super jacked and tan. You know, it's going to feel at ease in your body, feeling comfortable, feeling fast, feeling flexible, feeling adaptable, feeling like when you are an old man or woman, you can comfortably squat all the way down to the ground and play with your kids or play with a dog, you know, and when you're really old, you're not worried about falling and not being able to get up. And that's one of the chapters in the Align Method book is all about spending time on the ground. You know, and there's also like mechanics of like hip hinging and finding spinal neutrality and just like the like the nuts and bolts mechanics of how to effectively derive leverage from your body through, you know, when you move. But one of the one of the practices that every person really needs, it's a non-negotiable. I know it's one of these like healing mechanisms that you mentioned, you use different language for it. But we have these innate healing mechanisms that we've developed throughout our evolutionary history. And one of the, the primary ones is uh, getting up and down off of the ground. You know, and so, right now as we're, we're doing this conversation, I'm sitting, I'm in a 90-90 position. I have an elbow. My right elbow is kind of digging into my TFL, my glute medius minimus situation on the side of my hip here. So, I'm working on internal rotation in my right hip. I'm working on external rotation in my left hip. You know, I'm going to go into a cross-legged position in a second here. I might kneel. And that's what we would do if we were hanging out around a fire. You know, so, to start to integrate and it's not weird. You can't, you wouldn't have known that I'm on the floor except that I told you. Nothing's you're not weird. On, you're, about you're on the floor right now? Yeah. So, nothing's, nothing's weird. Absolutely. Yeah. Nothing's, nothing's, nothing's weird about this. So, I wouldn't do very many interviews unless it was like with like Rogan or something 
if I was sitting on a chair. I just wouldn't do it because I'm like, I don't don't want to I don't want to do that. Would you rather the floor or a standing desk? Is one better than the other? Both are fine. Yeah, standing desk is fine. There, there's this company that's sending me a standing desk right now. And I'm thinking maybe you should just like get rid of everything and just sit on the floor. <laughs> yeah, I, I recommend floor for sure, without a doubt. Like it's it's there it's really pretty irrefutable that spending time on the ground is king as far as a, a resting position. But isn't your head sort of dropping down even lower when you're on the ground, like to look at the screen? No, you just change your, you mean you could, you could raise so I could, I just have a big like acrylic. So you, have a, so, you have a stand, you have a stand that you have the laptop set up on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then I have a, I have a, a separate camera set up. So, it's kind of on its own little like tripod gorilla thing that's connected onto the table and then there's a light connected to the table and the mic's connected on the table. It's a whole thing. Yeah. And that's, again, that's, that's what the, the book is about is teaching people like it does not need to be weird. And that's the thing, like I have a, a, a colleague, Katie Bowman. She, I think she's amazing. She's like brilliant. She's like one of the most brilliant minds in these conversations. And a lot of the work that I do rides in the back of, of, of her. But I think the way that she is, she's like more extreme than I am, you know? So I'm, I'm very, other than the fact that if we're out hanging out in public, you'll probably see me like squatting a bunch of times because it just, it feels better. And I don't like to feel like blood pulling up in my legs. And I had like varicose vein surgery in my legs. I'm like aware of circulation, you know, so I might be kind of stretching around, which might look a little funny. But if you come into my house, you don't notice anything. I have a, I have a couch, you know, like this table over here with my stuff. It's not weird looking. It looks kind of cool when you come in. I've got a TV, you know, it's like, it's not this like, oh my God, like this <laughs> crazy beatnik, you know, like nature ancestral living guy. It's like, no, no, no. Like you can integrate these, these worlds. You can integrate the old in quotations in the present. It doesn't need to be this strange, strange thing. Cause I think if, if it is, it's, it's much harder to stick with, you know, unless you're seeking some way to be different, which is a virtue signaler. So if you're really looking to be this separate from modernity, separate from society, like that's where you, where you're pro- derived pride from, you know, or, or your own value or self worth from is like being really different, then go for it, you know. But I would much personally, I like, to say, okay, this is the scenario that we're in. How can I integrate these healing mechanisms that you'd spoken about into that scenario? It's a real Swiss army knife. That's a real yeah. Swiss army knife because you can't always accommodate your environment, but you can accommodate yourself to the environment. That's exactly correct. Yeah. So, it's, it's figuring out how do I become flexible and adaptable enough in myself that, cool, we're free diving, got it. I understand like I've you know I've 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 done the work to develop my you know my 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 bolt score you know like my, my my blood oxygen situation is pretty good you know I'm, I'm I'm like I can relax in under pressure situations so I'm not expending all this energy in my mind by freaking out because for 20 30 feet below the water or we're going to go out in the mountains or we're going to go really high oh my god okay cool we're going to be you know 14,000 feet up you know, it's going to be very low oxygen. It's going to be kind of, it's a little stress. So, you might get like kind of like a headache. You might get anxiety. You're absolutely adaptable, not adapted to the environment. Yes, exactly. That's correct. Adaptable, not adapted. You know, and then it's like, okay, oh, my cool. Friend, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you spearfishing. I'd love that. Yeah, I love spearfishing. I lived in Hawaii for five years. So, I'm, I'm, oh, I'm no, about I have no idea. I'm not, I'm not good at it, but I really like it a lot. 
you know, and then from there, it's like, okay, now we're in New York City and we're going to go on a subway and then we're going to go to this nightclub and we're going to be up until 2 a.m., you know, and we're going to be like dancing and it's going to be blue lights and it's going to be, we're probably going to eat some weird quesadilla thing from some random food truck and it's going to be awesome. You're going to have so much fun. You know, he's like, all right, yeah, I could do that. You know, I could totally do that. You know, it's like, all right, now we're going to go to this vegan dinner thing. Now we're going to go to this carnivore dinner thing because we're hanging out with Paul Saladino. You know, and it's like, that's the thing that that's, I'm the most intrigued by and interested in is being, you know, being able to, to be adaptable enough to j- enjoy the various facets of life, I guess. You know? That's real fitness. And I, I think you for so, that. You. but that's real fitness for me. You know, so that's, and it sounds like it's real fitness for you, but we're just an N of two. Like, I don't care what someone else's fitness is. All I care is that someone enjoys, genuinely enjoys, like they got like this lotto ticket to have a human experience. I just, ideally, if there's anything that I would want or desire for them would be that they actually experience some joy in this time frame, and they don't, you know, mess with other people too much wherever your fitness fits into that definition of life, I'm like, cool, you know, CrossFit, love it. You know, bodybuilding, love it. You know, like whatever you're into, like I'm, I'm not here to judge. It's just first really being honest and asking your question of like, what is it that you actually want and desire and what is fulfilling to you? And if, you know, you really sit with that long enough, you're probably things that are most fulfilling is probably going to come back to being able to like hang out with your friends and hang out with your family and, you know, just be able to live comfortably, be able to go out in the woods and maybe be able to like squat to take a poop and it's not like crazy, you know, or be able to squat to pick your keys up off of the ground. You don't feel your back like go out in quotations. That's probably a pretty meaningful metric of fitness for you. And then everything else on top of that, I think is kind of just extra credit. It's like whatever, you know, whatever kind of accoutrements you want on your physical experience, you know, have at it. Aaron, thank you so, so, so much for everything that you do and for joining us today. Yeah. I, uh, I hate to cut this short, but I have to get going. I'd love to have you yeah, back in a future episode. And for the people tuning in, where can they find you? I mean, people are probably just going to go use the, the thing that we've been talking about, t- talking shit on for the last, the last hour. <laughs> um, you know, so Instagram is probably where people will Hey, will we can go, go and stress you out now on Instagram. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So that would be the likely place that people go, you know, so align, align podcast is the Instagram handle. Everything's at align podcast. And then the book, the align method, as I burp into the microphone, that's a great way to, to pitch the, the book. Uh, <laughs> the align method comes out January 11th. That's, I think the align method is rad. I'm like genuinely stoked about that. If it was, if there was a book that I would want to read, it would be that one. You know, if there was like one book that was really encapsulating how to be in this body the most effective manner possible, you know, from how we utilize our senses, how we utilize our our mechanics, it would be that book. And that was why I wrote it. You know, and so the book's not, it's not just me that wrote it. I had a co-writer called Phil White. He's amazing. He's worked with Laird Hamilton. Laird Hamilton did the blurb on the front of the book. So, it's Laird Hamilton approved. Kelly Starrett did the forward for it. I had Patrick McEwen help with the nose breathing section. I had Andrew Huberman help with the vision section. I had like, you know, Brian McKenzie. I had like the best of the best are all integrated into the book. 
And uh, so I'm stoked about it. I'm very grateful to get to be, you know, play a part in the book's existence. So the Align Method would be a great place to to go would be that's my really, suggestion. That's really beautiful, man. And, you know, maybe you could send me a copy and I can dive deep on it and have you back on the podcast in the near future to, uh, to, uh, to talk about it. Yeah. Well, hopefully this episode can go out around that time. Yeah, the, yeah, sure. You yeah, got that's it. it. That's it. That's all. I'll, if you just type Align Podcast into the internet, you'll find, you know, all the, all the things. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, man. Yeah, man. Thank you. So that's all for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in today. For all of the show notes, including clickable links to anything and everything that we discussed today, everything from discount codes to videos to research articles, books, tips, tricks, techniques, and of course, to learn more about the guest on today's episode, all you have to do is head to my website, andresprechel.com. That's A-N-D-R-E-S-P-R-E-S-C-H-E-L.com and go to podcasts. You can also leave your feedback, questions, and suggestions for future episodes, future guests, so on and so forth. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll see you on the next one. Have a lovely rest of your day.